COVID-19 has accelerated our use of technology. How we work and where we work has all potentially changed forever. And this presents a once in a generation opportunity. This is Beyond the Capital from Supertech, a new series that explores the future of technology in the world of work. Our focus is the tech scene that's flourishing outside of London. I'm Hilary Smith-Allen, and I'm involved in the technology adoption agenda and passionate about opportunities across the UK. In this episode, we're looking at diversity in law tech. I spoke to Inez Brown, the current president of the Birmingham Law Society and partner at Harrison Clark Rickabies. Also to Joanna Goodman, a journalist who writes about law and technology and author of the book Robots in Law, How Artificial Intelligence is Transforming Legal Services. And to Professor Tim Vorley, Pro Vice-Chancellor and Dean of Oxford Brooks Business School. He leads UKRI-funded projects examining diversity and innovation and AI adoption in legal and accounting sectors. So welcome, Inez. Um, tell us about you. Tell us why you've made Law Tech one of your key themes for your year as president. Thank you, Hilary. Yes, I am president of Birmingham Law Society and I was inaugurated in July last year. Um, as president, we are able to run initiatives during the year and one of the initiatives I decided to run is law tech. As lawyers, we bury our heads. We're not interested in technology. We want lots of paper. And when I first mooted this idea to my think tank, I was told that I was five years ahead of myself, but look at what's happened with COVID, technology, we need to embrace it. Otherwise we will become obsolete. So five years ahead, You've been leading a research project, Tim, looking at AI adoption and law tech and, and accountancy. Would you agree with that? What, what does the research side say? No, absolutely. Um, so thanks for having me on. And I, in leading the project, I think one of the really interesting things that we've seen, kind of, um, as well as the, the wider perspective looking at um, law tech and, and the transformation and digitalization in law, is certainly that um, COVID has seen us achieve, we say, within um, six months what would otherwise potentially have taken six years. So a view that I very much kind of agree with. I think one of the big challenges moving forward, though, is that we're applying tech to what are effectively the, the old ways of working. Uh, there's a real opportunity, though, to think about how technology can transform the way that we work. And I think that that has to now be the focus moving forward, because if we continue to apply technology to the ways that we did do things, we'll never really realise that advantage moving forward. Thank you. And as a, an author of AI and law tech, Joanna, what do you see? I think that the pandemic has given us an opportunity to have another look at how we interact with tech. It's, it's kind of paused innovation slightly as lawyers have had to get on Zoom. They've all had to work remotely. But I think, I don't know, I think they've done a great job of switching. I know they've had to. But they've started to embrace technology, and that is a new springboard for innovation. I'm going to be a little bit challenging. Is Zoom and working on your emails from home law tech as a source of competitive advantage? What are we aiming for here? Joanna? It is not a source of competitive advantage. It is essential. But it is a, if you like, it's a gateway drug because law firms have not traditionally embraced things like remote working because partners have traditionally had assistance to deal with their tech. They are suddenly having to be a lot more independent and tech dependent. So you, you perhaps are siloing law tech a little bit too hard. I think that if you don't have normal tech, how can you then have 
complex and challenging tech, you wouldn't have a chance. I think that's a really good observation. And I can see Tim nodding there frantically. Yeah, I think I think it is interesting that what we're now doing is we're seeing people utilising technologies that they didn't before. That forms a really kind of a important foundation to build from. I think that what we need to, as I said previously, is to ensure that this doesn't become the start and the finish. It very much is about trying to say we've got people engaged with different forms of technology and that there's more opportunities out there. I think just in relation to kind of what Joanna also said, that we, we are seeing lots of innovation actually happening at the same time around the sector. So many of the kind of disruptors, we are seeing new tech developed that is uh, particularly aimed at working in COVID, uh, as well as some of the larger companies, like I say, using some more of the basic technologies in more innovative ways. Uh, and it's that building block that I think then will become really important to the adoption and diffusion of perhaps some of those more sophisticated technologies. Inez, you're, you're also nodding at me. Yes, I was going to say it's interesting that before COVID, no lawyer would have imagined that they would be using Zoom or Teams. Everything needed to be in person. And now we have cut down the travel. I think um, Zoom is a start for technology. Having two screens is another start um, and we can build on that. But you need to look at DocuSign, Paperlite, Paperless, e-contracts, all of those we're beginning to embrace. And this is something that our sector just would not have embraced prior to COVID. I think it's really interesting talking about the parallels with other industries and how, you know, what is the scope of law tech and what is that that specific technology versus ones which are pan sector and actually that's a viewpoint that we share at Supertech, thinking about the collective and the transferable aspects of technology across the professions because quite often that's in the interfaces and, and what is a law tech what is a prop tech but i want to move the conversation on if i may just a little bit in the west midlands where we've started to look at the the large sector that we have and the levers for competitive advantage one of the things we hear quite a lot is about the relationship of diversity and having a broad base workforce with multiple demographics. West Midlands is super diverse, but the link there of how you breed innovation culture through having uh, a different mix of people representative within your organisation. So if I could start to think about that a little bit. And Inez, I know amongst your busy year, this is also one of your themes. Perhaps you'd like to touch on that. Yes, diversity is really, really important to me. I come from a disadvantaged background and um, the Law Society of in England and Wales did a study in 2019 and there are only 10% of um, Asian lawyers compared to white um, lawyers and 3% of black lawyers. And so I know that if someone did not see that there was I was talented and wanted to help me, I would not be a lawyer and I definitely would not be president of Birmingham Law Society. So I decided to set up a diversity inclusion scheme, partnering with University of Law, University of Wolverhampton, um, my law firm, Harrison Clark Rickabees and Gately Legal. And thankfully, the universities are sponsoring stu two students from disadvantaged backgrounds um, to do their legal practice course. We then take them and help them with mentoring, with work experience and introduce them to um, the legal sector. And I think it's really, really important for diversity to be in the legal profession. You'll have more varied opinion, um, will be more effective, more efficient, and it will also breed creativity. Has it been hard to get the firms and the partners on board with that? 
It's definitely been hard, but I think that um, following the murder of George Floyd last May, I think we saw that the entire world um, cried out against racism um, and lack of diversity and inclusion. So what we've done at Birmingham Law Society, we've had a number of roadshows and we're on our third roadshow because you need to engage with the decision makers, the gatekeepers who can um, speak to the HR teams and make sure that things change in order to ensure that there is a diverse profession. So it's diff It's a start. It's moving in the right direction. Absolutely. And there's lots, lots more to be done. I know, Joanna, you're quite passionate about another angle of you know, the inclusion agenda. Well, I'm actually quite passionate about the entire inclusion agenda. I'm a big supporter of, of um, diversity across legal and legal tech. And there is very little diversity in that too. Um, it's You just have to look at diversity in tech. I mean, just look at Twitter. At the beginning with the Twitter handle, you had only a certain number of letters. That's because that's fine if you're called Jack Dorsey, isn't it? But what if you come from an Asian background? Can you really get your whole name into that short number of letters? Nearly nobody can. So that's the first thing. Um, then I'm not going to touch on the controversial things that even my colleagues of a different background have faced, like getting stopped and searched, going into courts and things like that and treated in a way that they probably wouldn't have treated a male white lawyer so there there is that and then i'm really big supporter of women in law tech and i've been a female mentor of lawyers to help teach them about technology and that's through legal geeks mentoring scheme and the idea is to get more women lawyers involved in law tech because there's a very big dearth of female founders compared with male founders they're in a minority of well under 10%. You're listening to Beyond the Capital with me, Hilary Smith-Allen. Please do rate, review and subscribe on your normal podcast app. And do get in touch if you have topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. To reach us, email us on hello at supertechwm.com. Tim, if I can turn to you for the next sort of question. You've been looking at diversity in related to the innovation agenda at a more policy and systemic level working with Innovate UK. What, what did you learn and see through that side of the research? So we've been involved with a project um, with Innovate UK, so the UK's innovation agency, trying to understand the diversity of of applicants for Innovate UK funding, and also what needs to be done to stimulate more diverse communities to apply for Innovate UK funding. Innovate UK have a statement of intent and diversity and are working hard on that. They have a number of streams related to that activity, looking at how um, to really kind of open the innovation agenda to a wider range of communities and continue to do so. On the basis of the work that we've been doing with Innovate and the report that we did last year, it's very clear that much more needs to be done on the diversity and inclusion agenda. Um, a lot of the time, uh, innovators from diverse communities, they simply see innovation is not for them. 
they don't see themselves within innovation. Uh, and it's really interesting hearing Ines talk about the kind of the nature of diversity within the legal profession. I think if we look at it within the tech domain, uh, again, we see that pattern kind of um, absolutely repeated. So in some ways, when we're talking about legal tech, you can see those two factors really compounding the diversity challenge. It's regrettable already that we're, we're talking about women as part of the diversity, let alone uh, those from BAME and other diverse backgrounds. Uh, disabled innovators as well is something else that we found out. So how to address this? Well, I think there's there's a need to look at it on both sides of the coin. First of all, how do we open up that agenda by perhaps targeting, creating more blended approach uh, to engaging those from different and diverse backgrounds into the innovation agenda? A massively important but very challenging uh, task. So the kinds of initiatives that Inez is talking about and thinking much more about how we can highlight the opportunities we can champion role models that are very much working in this space is the kind of thing that the report looks at i think it's one thing to get people to apply for this type of funding and to kind of engage in the innovation agenda but we also need to try and ensure their success within it so trying to provide feedback providing that mentoring and support also equally important measures the flip side of this i think is the the kind of more systemic challenges that we face within society and um, talking about George Floyd and certainly thinking about some of the kind of the big issues uh, in the UK, we need to make sure that we keep this high on the agenda. If we don't, it is going to be something where we're not going to make the progress that we need to make. And that's not just down to the law sector. It's not just down to the technology communities. It's something that all of us have to do in our day to day uh, to really ensure that we are going to make some movement on these agendas. So some of the work we've been doing as well, looking at the kind of the legal tech and particularly on the, the project that I'm leading, um, again, we see these challenges replicated. We see that tech is predominantly a white male domain. Uh, and when working with lawyers, again, picking up on what Inez and Gianna had both said, again, dominated particularly by white males for the majority, um, we need to think about how we can create more diverse teams. Uh, how we can think about the challenge with those kind of um, those broader characteristics, recognising that diversity and innovation often leads to better outcomes. Really compelling from all of you there around, you know, not only the, the moral imperative of, a, of an inclusive growth agenda, but also you know, the real benefits to be chased and, and the competitive advantage for, at an individual firm, but for society and, and uh, future growth. But this is you know, participation is is one form of inclusion. There are, there are other risks, are there not, around legal tech and other tech of disruption of professional services? Joanna, uh, I believe you might want to speak about ethical bias and algorithms. Well, I don't think that's a necessarily a broad challenge about inclusion. I think a lot of the challenges around inclusion are the wetware, honestly, it's the people. Because a lot of people pay tribute and pay lip service to inclusion but don't actually do it. There are AI issues around biases. Um, it's a bit of a big topic. What it is, is AI learns from data. Put very simply, AI software learns from data and experience. So if it uses lagging data, so if you used Google data, you are going to have all the biased stuff. For example, a bad example was Amazon a few years ago had a recruitment algorithm that sifted CVs. And what it did is it took the attributes of its most successful executives and it extrapolated them into the algorithm. But its most successful executives were all men because it was founded by men. 
therefore it was rejecting women's CVs automatically. Now what it needed doing was tweaking so that it didn't do that. So you you have to look at like inbuilt biases that have appeared in society and extrapolate them into your your software. Otherwise, it's going to sift out in the way that biased people used to sift out, like they didn't want someone over a certain age. I mean, when I first started working, because I'm old, people actually said, oh, do you think you might have children? And they were biased against women who might take maternity leave if they were of that age. So you'd have to push that bias out because it's unfair. So it's it's the ingrained biases that you have to watch out for. And those are our ingrained biases. They're the ingrained biases of society that, that you mustn't let the technology pick up and run with. And Inez, you're nodding and I wasn't sure if you waved at me during the middle of that. Come on in. Yes, I did. I was. It was interesting that uh, Joanna spoke about bias. And when you're looking at the legal sector, we're told from the report, um, the 2019 report, that typically white lawyers are encouraged into the corporate, commercial, tech sector Um financial sector as well, whereas your females, um, your black and ethnic minority lawyers, they're going to be directed into family, immigration, housing. So it's changing the mindset and realising that if the law firms tap into diversity and the interesting discussion and ideas that comes out of diversity, they will have a much better law firm. And we've got to stop thinking about how we performed 50 years ago, 20 years ago, and be looking forward into the 21st century because we need to increase productivity, efficiency, and profitability. Tim, anything you want to add? Yeah, no, I, I think the case for diversity is well evidenced and well made. We look at the economic outcomes for firms. We look at uh, innovation outcomes linked to diversity. And absolutely, it is something that is, to my mind, a no-brainer. Um, that doesn't mean that it's easy to achieve. And I think that one of the big things that we've found through the research that we've been doing is how do we challenge the, the norms and cultures within organisations? How do we ensure that what we're doing is not going down that well-trodden path and we make space for opportunities where whether that is individuals from diverse backgrounds or, or perhaps those more traditional innovators to think about ways of doing things differently, building teams that actually embrace diversity, um, because ultimately that's good for everyone. It's good for the teams, it's good for the career path of the individual, and it's good for the organisations of which they're a part. Well, I totally agree with all of that. And um, there's also the innovation side, because diverse thinking is the underpins innovation. Because when you have a big a team which is diverse, which has people of different backgrounds, people of different races, ages, it's like a good dinner party. I, you know, if you have a dinner party that's all guys, it's going to be a very different dinner party than if you mix it up a bit. So it's a good conversation. It's a good, good spark. And that's where you get ideas because you are going to brainstorm with a different set of set of brains. And the key to this is leadership. And I bang on about this. You know, how do you get more diverse leaders? Well, you promote them. And that's why we have leaders like Inez 
and other people who are beginning to come to the top. And the other thing is that they have to break the glass ceiling from above. Because if you don't have the decision makers who are diverse, then diversity is going to be something special and it will not become the norm. Can I just add to that? Because I think that it really does come back down to the fact that while we are looking at kind of diversity and thinking about it in the legal tech agenda, this is all about excellence as well. It's about unlocking and enabling excellence. No no one is asking for kind of uh, paths to be kind of forged just to let anyone run down them. We want to allow them to kind of realise um, their potential. And I think that how we do that is really important. I completely agree uh, with the point about leaders. When we think about a lot of the technology challenges, let alone the diversity challenges and even some of uh, Inez's opening remarks, we know that when it comes to technology, these are some of the most difficult decisions that firm-wide leaders have to make because they don't understand it. I think that therefore we need to kind of have those individuals with those skills in the team. And I actually think the same applies to diversity. I think what we need to do is we don't just need to have tokenistic representation of diversity. It needs to permeate the values and the culture of the organisation. And those organisations that we see that are doing that generally seem to be more successful. They're the kind of bastions, not only of good practice, but they're the places where people want to work. And more than that, they're the places where people want to stay working. And I think that that, for me, is one of the kind of the key things, creating opportunities for workforce development. And with that kind of technology enabled workforces will kind of prevail as well, where they're allowed to tread those paths and they're seen as something that they're allowed to do. So given you know, what we've heard about the, the opportunities, the, the, the reasons and the rationale and also the challenges that come with it. How, how should listeners respond? You know, if you're sat there violently agreeing at home, listen to the podcast, where do you start? What do you do? I think what we need to do is to remove fear and fear will actually stop people from um, doing something, being innovative. Now, I when I started, did not know anything about law tech. I just knew that if I did not embrace law tech, my sector can become obsolete. If you look at the likes of Google who are moving into the legal sector, um, if we don't change and embrace online, uh, raising our, our profile, in social media as law firms looking at what the client wants not what we want but what the client wants and the client is engaging technology they're having that conversation so you don't know what you don't know and i decided that i needed to partner with individuals who did know who could educate me so that i could in turn educate the legal sector i also want to make sure that the small the sme law firms have access to um, technology so that we're all on a level playing field. They may not have the resources of the larger firms, but we can start at the basics and help them to move into the 21st century as far as technology is concerned. So I'm really, really excited about technology and having that passion and energy about it, it means that we can also pass that on to law firms. But I think that um, fear, fear that we'll lose our jobs um no we need to embrace technology and let it work more for us as lawyers yeah i suppose from my perspective um that there's three phases that we see kind of uh, those law firms those next generation services firms needing to embrace so the first one is around 
digitization. A lot of the um, assets, a lot of what lawyers work with is typically paper-based uh, and we need it to be digitized. I remember doing some interviews where going to a law firm, they, I'd ask where the data is and what the data is like. They'd simply open a door uh, and show me a room floor to ceiling full of files. Um, I think the next stage is then around digitalization uh, and we need to think around what the different technologies are that are out there that enable us to, to really think about how they can be used within a within a business, within a firm. Um, and then the third aspect is around the digital transformation. It's about trying going on that journey. And we very much kind of need to think about this as a journey. It is, a, it is something that will not happen overnight. It is a process and it will evolve. And actually getting to the end of that uh, is the key. Joanna, have you got any thoughts on what firms should do as a result? I'm, I'm gonna be optimistic here, actually. Firstly, they are already on their digital transformation journey because they forced to be by COVID. They are talking on, on online like we are now. They have to. They are sharing documents online. They're looking at e-signatures. They're already using the stuff and there are additional benefits here. Additional benefits in terms of, of connectivity. You don't have to be near each other to be colleagues. You can have your law firms can become more diverse. On the diversity side, if you have more flexible um, workforces, you can blend your, your working with a family life, for example, with other commitments, other interests, um, other responsibilities. And there is some good diversity things out of it too. For example, there was a lady interviewed in the Gazette who was in a wheelchair. It's much easier for her to, to work and people cannot see whether she's in a wheelchair or not because we're all sitting down. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure. Really engaging. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Inez Brown, Joanna Goodman and Professor Tim Vorley. You've been listening to Beyond the Capital podcast from Supertech, a new series that explores the future of technology in the world of work. Please do rate, review and subscribe on your normal podcast app. And do get in touch if you have topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. To reach us, email us on hello at supertechwm.com. <laughs>